All right, um, Bezalel. Bezalel is the guy's name. Master craftsman. Look it up. Exodus, I think. Bezalel is his name. You know, this is weird. We were talking about before when I did this on Sunday morning, we had like a screen showing what was going on. So now I'm just looking into a camera with Chapman Hurley making faces at me behind there. I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you guys tonight. Um, as much as I bemoan that this is a discipline and a process that, um, that sometimes takes time to go through, uh, work is good. It builds muscle, it stretches out, it, uh, it grows you. So I'm excited to share and I hope that something I say um, brings a little bit more of the blessings of the gospel to you tonight. So why don't I go ahead and open in prayer because I need it as much as any of us. Heavenly Father, um, now what a privilege it is to come before you at any time. Uh, the fact that we are on this side, uh, in between the two advents of Christ, that we have um, the resurrected King sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we are awaiting your return, Lord Jesus. We are waiting all things to be made new, um, but we're also called, and we're motivated, and we are drawn into the process as heirs, as sons and daughters. Lord, we get to be an active part of this. So Father, we thank you for that opportunity. Um, but we also feel the weight of that calling. And so, Father, um, when I teach, I feel so incapable. I feel the weight of your glory and your goodness and your sovereignty, Lord. Uh, but I also feel the joy and the pleasure and the power of your Holy Spirit inside of me. And so, Father God, would that come through? Would you fill in um, all the gaps and the holes in what I'm about to say? Would you build the grace in the people that are listening? And would your Holy Spirit draw it all together in amazing ways that... Uh, None of us could do on our own. And so, Father, it's for your purpose, it's for your glory, it's for your kingdom that we sit here for these next few minutes, honoring your name and glorifying you as the greatest of all. It's in that name we pray. Amen. So, uh, full disclosure, my voice sounds weird. I've been uh, head coldy, throat stuff all week. My wife told me before I came over that I look washed out and I have dark circles under my eyes and she wished she could put makeup on. So I apologize for the production team and the editing, but this is as good as it's gonna get tonight. So tonight we're talking about um, being spirit-filled ambassadors. This teaching series is being ambassadors in this world, ambassadors for Christ um, in a world that we may not be uh, meant to be in, but the Lord has put us here. Uh, the prompt for tonight is that as we move to be ambassadors of Christ, we need to recognize that there's no way we can do it on our own. But thanks be to God, he's given us an advocate, a helper, a guide in the Holy Spirit. I think this dovetails really well or builds off of what Hunter shared last week. Um, last week, Hunter took us through um, being made or created in the image of God, the Imago Day, And he did a really, really good job of unpacking that. Um, just to kind of catch up for those of you that might not have heard it, I think uh, a couple of things that came up in my mind, I think there's two main things when we talk about being made in the image of God. First of all, like we're, we're the actualization of God. We are the, in, in humanity, we are what God wanted to make, to be his power, his purpose, and his plan on this earth. That's an amazing, amazing thing. Humanity is how God desires uh, his will to be done. We're the ones that are to take this, uh, this ministry forward. I think of Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we get to now do. Um, it's a weighty calling that we're God's plan for salvation. Um, you know, his, his creation's beautiful. It's not the ocean. It's not Mexican food. It's not USC football. It's not sweet home Alabama. All those things are great, but they are not the path towards salvation. They are the path towards glorifying God. But we are the image bearers on this earth that are to bring salvation to his people um, through the blood of Jesus Christ. The other thing is that it shows just how much God cares for us. He has made us in his image because he loves us so much. Um, 
Nothing else in creation bears his image. So we are given headship. We are given dominion over the rest of creation. And it's our job to deal with that, uh, to reflect the glory of God to our brothers and sisters. So if we're made in the image of God and we are God's image bearers, it's our job to reflect that and to show that to everyone else. But the really, really cool part is God didn't only tell us, hey, you're made in my image, now go do this. But he actually gave us his power inside of us as well. So we get this really cool blend of being made in his image and then actually not only image bearers, but literally God bears inside of us. We have the, the power of the risen Savior inside of us through the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So um, the presence of the living God inside of us is what's going to motivate us as, uh, as we move forward as ambassadors in this world. We know there's plenty of scriptures talking about the unifying force of the Spirit, right? That the Spirit is what draws us together. Um, but tonight we're going to talk a little bit more about how it motivates us, it inspires us, it empowers us to carry his message through. Uh, the key scripture for tonight comes from the first chapter of Acts. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're just going to work through that. All right? So um, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we're going to work through some scriptures uh, individually as we go through. This is Acts 1.1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convicting proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Sumeria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the key verses we're going to go through are, are 7 and 8, but I want, to, I want to go through the scriptures around them because I think they add a lot of context. So verses 1 through 3 is basically Luke's opening. And he's saying, uh, in my former book, he's referring to Luke. For those of you that don't know, Luke and Acts originally were one text. So you could say Acts is second Luke, uh, but it's not. It's Acts. <laughs> so Acts is taking up um, from where Luke left off, as they were originally one thing. But I think it's important to denote the difference between those two, because the book of Luke is much more the, the era of Jesus. The book of Acts, as we know it, if you've been in the church forever, is kind of the building of the church. It's the church era, if you will. So Luke being one of the Gospels, obviously is telling the story of Jesus. Acts is then taking up to Jesus is gone. This is when the church starts to build. I think what's really, really, really important is uh, if we go to verse 3, um, actually, yeah, let's go to verse three right here. It says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convicting proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God is referencing, Jesus is referencing the Holy Spirit right there. He's giving his final words. Next week, Janine's going to share from the end of John where Jesus is directly communicating how important the advocate that is coming is going to be. But it's important that we see that Jesus right now is showing that he relied on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and he is going to give us that exact same Holy Spirit. What's also important to signify there is that it says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait here for the gift of my Father. That waiting is really, really important. I'm sure that they wanted to get out of Jerusalem as quickly as they could. Jerusalem is where Jesus was slaughtered. Jerusalem was where Jesus was crucified. If you were leaving, after, or if you were still there after Jesus had left, you probably didn't want to be hanging around Jerusalem after you saw what he went through. And they start pointing out, oh, weren't you one of his? Weren't you one of his? Weren't you one of his? I would imagine they would probably want to leave. But God, Jesus, telling them to wait is a practice. He's building something inside of them. He's saying this, what you're waiting for, is a value, valuable thing. It's, it has worth. You can't create this. It has to come from me. So you need to sit here. You need to wait. It then talks about the promise of the Father, uh, the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jesus is saying this is a gift directly from God on high. I'm going to leave, and God the Father is going to bless you with this amazing gift. Um, it shows, again, the idea of the Trinity. It shows the power of that. And it shows that Jesus, as again, as Janine's going to share next week in John, Jesus says, I have to leave so this can come. And there's a really good reason that this is coming. It finally talks about John baptizing. And I think it's important to know it's not just, baptism's not just a singular experience. It's a condition. Jesus is saying, this Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to baptize you and you'll be forever changed. You will now be in the form of a baptized servant of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on now, verses six through eight, the kind of key content. Verse six, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples still don't get it after all these years. They're still looking for the power. They're still looking for this earthly power and earthly victory. They're worried that Jesus is leaving, and they're wondering, where's this power coming from? It's reasonable for them to ask, right? I think we all would. But Jesus answers them, it's not for you to know. The mysteries of God are what they are, and there's a reason for that, so trust me. Then he reassures them and says, you will receive power. That power is coming. You might not understand what the power is, but I guarantee you that it's a power that's going to do something. He's also continuing to redefine that idea of what earthly power versus heavenly power in the kingdom of God actually looks like. And then he declares, you will be my witnesses. I think this is a really important thing to say, is that Jesus says, you will receive power, and then you will be my witnesses. He's not saying you'll receive power and then it's up to you to become my witnesses. He's saying when the baptism of the Spirit comes, when that power comes, you will be witnesses. As in, we don't really have any control. We don't really have any say in the matter. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we then become witnesses. It talks a lot back to like Hunter was sharing last week, right? We are image bearers of God. If we are sons and daughters of him, we cannot get away from that. We were created in his image. Once we accept the Holy Spirit and we're baptized by that, we have no choice but to be witnesses because the power of the Holy Spirit will be working inside of us uh, multiple ways. But I think this goes two ways, and it's important for us to signify that, is that the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses, but we also need the Holy Spirit uh, to be witnesses, right? 
I mean, if, if we're trying to carry Christ's message without the power of the Holy Spirit doing it, then we're not going to be doing what needs to be done. And we're going to be a false witness. And we all know um, the hatred and vitriol that there is in Scripture for those types of people, right? So we're dependent on the Holy Spirit. From there, he talks about um, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Uh, this is a really other cool distinction. You know, like I said earlier, they're in Jerusalem. And the first kind of third of Acts talks about the ministry building in Jerusalem. So it's cool how the way the book, if you study the book of Acts, this first little book, you know, one through seven or eight or so, talk about the ministry building in, in the city of Jerusalem. Then from there, it starts to go out to the surrounding areas like Judea and Samaria. So like chapters eight through 12 or 13. Then from there, it talks about it going to the ends of the world. So Jesus is showing how not only chronologically, but just in the order of the growth of the church, <laughs> <laughs> things are naturally going to grow. And so this Holy Spirit is coming and Jesus is saying, look, I got you guys. I'm going to give this to you and we're going to watch the way the Spirit is going to bless you, the way the Spirit is going to grow. Yeah. Don't worry that Jerusalem is where I was executed. Don't worry that Judea has rejected Jesus' ministry for the last two or three years. Don't worry that Samaria has filled with Samaritans and we, Samaria is filled with Samaritans and we all know about Samaritans in the Bible. Don't worry about the ends of the earth that you don't even know about. Because my Holy Spirit is going to take you sequentially through those things. And whether you're a new believer or whether you're an older believer that's lived um, a wonderful life with the Lord, I think we all look back and we see the way those concentric circles are built, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon us. He carries us through this first little phase. We grow to the next phase and then we go out from there in these concentric circles of ministry. I'm going to finish with these last few verses before we move on. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the skies. He was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go to heaven. I think there's two important things just to touch on here real quick. They're sitting there looking to heaven and these angels come. Guys, why do you look to heaven? It's the immediate transition saying, you know what? There went Jesus. And now it's time to turn the page and go on to the next phase of ministry, right? Jesus is gone. They're looking to heaven. They're looking for that. And they're saying, you know what? Like he said, it's time to turn the page and it's time to start your ministry. Uh, and then finally they said, um, this same Jesus who's been taken from you will come back. Jesus never leaves us or God never leaves us without a promise. Jesus left and immediately the angels gave them the promise that he will in his glory sustain them until he comes again the same way that they knew. So that's kind of the key text that we want to work through. And now I want to go through the, kind of the applications um, of what we're going to take from this. Anybody that's read through the Bible at any amount of time is going to go through verses 7 and 8 there. And it's going to draw them back to the Great Commission that we always talk about in Matthew 28. And I think that there's, um, you know, these are kind of considered parallel texts. And I think that there's a lot that we can draw between these two things. Um, just to refresh, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That sounds very similar to some of these verses we just read. But I think there's an important, a couple important delineations between those two. Like I was talking about earlier with Luke and Acts, and Luke being a gospel, and Acts being after Jesus has gone, and the, and the ministry after that. Matthew is a gospel telling the account of the life of Jesus. It's focused on what Jesus did, and what his followers take from that to continue his ministry. Acts comes after that and tells the account of the church building. Therefore, the go and make disciples baptizing and teaching in Matthew is a reference to the ministry of what Jesus did at that time with his disciples. 
the be my witnesses, as we're talking about in verses seven and eight, that be my witnesses in Acts is a reference to the ministry now that Jesus is gone of witnessing, of witnessing to the kingdom of God that Jesus began to establish. Uh, it's the witnessing to the beginning, the burgeoning church that's going to be going forward. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to make a very important point here. I'm not saying that the discipleship and the baptism and the teaching and all that isn't an active part of what's going on in Acts. That's not my point of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's lots, there's lots of that throughout the book of Acts. We know that. But for the people to become disciples, they first need to become converts. Mm. And so for, as we go about building a church like Coastline, as you go about looking at what it means to be an ambassador in the world, the first thing we need to do is worrying about witnessing and winning converts for the kingdom. You have to win somebody. They have to become a convert before you can start to build them into a disciple, before you can take them through baptism, before you can do the teaching and all those other things. So I think that's an important point to delineate between the Great Commission and this right here, because I think that you can see them both together and they sound very similar. But I think there's really important points to take from both of them. Um, as with everything else, it's not an either or, it's an and, it's a both, right? So both of those things are true. Both of those things come together in a mature perspective um, of the understanding of Scripture. So that's kind of the text. And now let's talk a little bit about application. Um, because I think that's, you know, where the rubber meets the road is, is really the important part. So here we are. We're told to be witnesses. We're empowered by the Spirit to carry the ministry of Jesus. Um, but if you've been around a church any period of time, you know that that's always this kind of struggle between, this tension between how do you handle the Spirit properly, right? Um, you know, speaking from personal experience, I've been through that already in my young years of, of ministry and church leadership. It becomes a very, very sticky subject and it becomes a very tricky situation. Um, for me, I always, I always refer to John 4, um, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well and, and verses 23 and 24. When Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Um, I talked about this a little bit when I, I talked about worship before. Um, but, you know, it goes on to say those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And that's not talking specifically about worship, you know, praise and lifting your hands and singing songs or any of that. That's talking about being a mature believer, being a mature son or daughter of God is figuring out how to properly involve the spirit and the truth together. It's really, really hard. I think we struggle a lot with reconciling those two in the modern day church. Um, I think there's a beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, and I want to read through it because I think it has a lot more wisdom in it than anything I can say. So I'm just going to read through this chapter and then continue to kind of talk about it um, after it brings up some really, really great points. So again, this is 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might rest on men's wisdom, not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among us, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I want to take us back just to verse 10 and 11 there. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Yeah, I think there's always all kinds of analogies and different ways that we try to describe the Spirit. And I think one of the most common ones you hear is, is like the wind, that the Spirit's like the wind. That we don't necessarily know where it's coming and we don't know where it's going and it's unbridled and you just want to catch the wind like you're just trying to grab onto the Spirit and ride it for as long as it takes you. And, you know, I grew up on Catalina Island. I think a lot about sailing and I think a lot about how sailors are masters of understanding the, the wind and reading the wind and learning how to use that wind um, to propel them forward. And I think you could have that analogy in using that spirit and truth and thinking that like the spirit is the wind and the truth is the sails, right? And we wanna get the truth just perfectly aligned so that the spirit can just breathe into that and push that along. And that's what we wanna, that's what we consider like a good, healthy, mature view, uh, version of, or viewpoint of the way things are supposed to go. I actually don't think that's right. I think that's 180 degrees wrong. I think what this verse is telling us, that God has revealed it to us by the Spirit, that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I think that's actually showing us that the Spirit is the sails. Mm -hmm. The Spirit is what takes all of the richness of God's wonder, of the truth of Scripture, of the mysteries of God, and all of these things that we struggle to comprehend and to, and to realize and to understand. And the Spirit is what actually focuses those things and refines those things and helps us to really be propelled by the goodness of all that God is. Uh, I think that we have a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation when we talk about the Spirit because it feels unbridled or where are the boundaries? Like Hunter and I were talking about at the beginning, right? It's coloring outside the lines. And I actually don't think that's a healthy perspective. I don't think that that is what Scripture teaches us. I think Scripture continually tells us that the Spirit is what actually helps refine and define what God is telling us. Um, and again, as, as we look back at what Hunter shared last week and looking at the image of God being inside of us and then the Spirit of God or being made in the image of God and then the Spirit of God coming in to fill that in. I think a lot about the, the term God-shaped whole, right? which I think is a, a pretty cheesy, christian easy kind of thing. I didn't even know this, but it was actually written first by Blaise Pascal, who was like a 16th century French like mathematician, astronomer, whatever, that then came to uh, faith in Catholicism. And he started to write really, really, really cool things about theology and about God later on in life. And he was the one that came up with that idea. And he has this great quote. He says, we know the truth, not only by reason, but also by the heart. And again, I think that breathes a lot of life back into John 4 about this, this finding a way to kind of merge the spirit and the truth. Or I like to say the head and the heart, right? Because God made both of those things to work in perfect unison. Hunter actually said it last week. I'm going to read it so I don't get it wrong. Being created in the image of God isn't just supposed to stir your intellect. It's supposed to stir your heart as well. 
Proper Christian maturity looks like that. It looks like a healthy, vibrant reliance on the Holy Spirit, ensuring that he's allowed to teach and to guide and to instruct and to comfort and all of those things that we're told the advocate and the helper is coming to do, but to really help us understand the fullness of what it means to be made in the image of God. So I think as we, as we continue to kind of build this church from the ground up, I think it's really, really essential, really, really important for us to understand that when that power comes down on us, when we receive that power and we're called to be witnesses, that we need to understand what that power is actually doing, the ways that we're actually going to, um, I don't like to use the word wrangle that power, but just use that power. The other analogy I like to think about a lot is a little kid um, with a magnifying glass. And you know, you can take the sun's rays and if you reflect them or just direct them through the magnifying glass just the right way, you can create fire. And again, I think of that magnifying glass as the Holy Spirit, right? And obviously the Holy Spirit comes as tongues of fire. So I think that analogy works really, really well. Um, but I would love to see us as we go forward, really understanding the fullness that's meant to be held inside of a proper relationship with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is not something to be feared, that the Holy Spirit is not something to be, um, you know, to be worried about, about, oh, if we go into the Spirit, we can go here, we can go there, we can do this, we can do that. I actually think we need a much healthier perspective of that. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is there to guide and to direct us, to reveal the truths, to reveal the mysteries of God, because the Spirit is what has searched all things and all the deepest things of God and is ready to unveil those things to us. Um, I'm really excited to do that. I'm really excited to do that as a church together, to understand that maturity looks like being led by the Spirit, being open-handed, um, and being willing to go where the wind blows as the Spirit directs us. Amen? Let me go ahead and close in prayer real quickly. Heavenly Father, what a blessing, what a gift you've given us, Lord. And Father, I just ask, I ask for an anointing of the Spirit. And when I say that, I ask for an anointing of, of the knowledge, of the empowerment, um, just of the understanding and the maturity that comes as we cultivate your Holy Spirit inside of us, Lord. May we reach out for you and may we find that you have given us so much more. And there's nothing for us to reach out for, but merely for us to sit here and to open our hands and to say, God, you are so good. Would you lead us? Would you guide us, Lord? Your purposes and your plans are there. Um, we are ready to enjoy them. We're ready to discover them. We're ready to be a part of them. We thank you, Lord God, for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are all um, image bearers of you, and that you've given us everything that we need. We're here to glorify you, Lord. We're here to do your, uh, your duties and your abiding and your calling. May we bring you praise and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. And uh, we look forward to seeing you as we all preview together. St. John's? St. Mark's? St. Paul's? What, what, what a possible... St. Saint, Saint Andrew, Saint, Saint Andrews. St. Andrews, four to six. Four and six. <laughs> four and six, Sunday. Perfect. See you guys there at Coastline.